All right, uh, we're going to pull back in. Uh, if you can uh, find your way back to your seat, uh, we'll jump into our teaching time. Um, so we'll do just a little primer, then we'll uh, kind of recollect and do a practice. And my hope is to introduce or at least uh, inv invite us into a couple of different uh, practices this morning, some things that we can do to kind of ground us when we need to be grounded. Uh, hopefully we'll have that within our, our teaching time here this morning. Uh, but we are continuing, uh, if you've been with us, we've been walking through the gospel according to Matthew, the biography of Jesus according to this young Jewish man named Matthew. And so we began this uh, at Advent of 2021, and we're taking uh, this walk through Matthew uh, that will take us, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if we're ending in January or February or what now. Um, I don't know, it's always moving because we just want to track the text and we'll see what happens. Uh, so it's, it's good. Uh, but we've been going through this um, and what we're going to do this morning is maybe you'd call, a, a few weeks ago we actually jumped a text. And, uh, and in part because we knew we wanted to swing back to it at the end. After we filled in some context through some other stories, we felt we'd swing back. So we were in chapter uh, 18 or 17. We went through 17, I believe, uh, Transfiguration, as it's often known, last week. And we're going to swing back into chapter 14. So we'll be in chapter 14 within that. Uh, but this little mini-series within the gospel, within the whole, we're calling Up and to the Right? Question mark. The question mark is really key because often we can feel like in our faith life, in life in general certainly, but in our faith life that we're supposed to be always moving up and to the right. That it's just what's the next step to where it's just good, 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 better, better, better. And that we are, are looking at and asking the question, well, is that accurate to the understanding of our, our journey in life as a whole, but our faith life? What does that look like? Because as we see in the scripture over and over and over, we see trips and falls and stumbling and hiccups and lots of questions and, and wrestling and struggle and suffering. And so it does not seem as if the journey is up and to the right. And so as we look at the life of Jesus and then his students to which he has called to follow him, we see a roller coaster. Uh, just a ping pong all over the place and what it sometimes is, feels like mountaintop experience. And then other times, this is low uh, valley suffering. And we're trying to raise a question, well, yeah, but is, is that not more accurate to what it means to follow Jesus in that that's the way the life of Jesus goes itself? So uh, we're going to swing back into chapter 14. Uh, but before we do that, uh, I just want us, um, as we sometimes do, uh, just take a deep breath and invite you to put your feet flat on the floor uh, to be able to just feel the ground with our, our whole being, if you will. And I just want to invite us into a prayer uh, just to kind of take a deep breath and um, maybe you, like me, uh, can sometimes have too many things going on in your head. Maybe it's the to-do list the tomorrow list, 
the later on today, but we can get jumbled or that, boy, she said what to me and it's still pinging around from last night or two weeks ago or six years ago, or he did what and that still just takes up immense amount of space in your head and heart and sometimes just for us to take a deep breath and say, uh, I want to be focused and clear as we sink in uh, to this time and so just sometimes just cleaning and clearing the palate, if you will, of the brain. So if you would, uh, if you want to put your hands out, you could. Uh, open palms is always good for me just to say I, there are some things I need to let go of and some space I want to create, so I'll do that physically. And we just say, uh, gracious one, here are your kids, and here we are. Help us now just to take those hurtful words, confusing words, frustration, frustrating moments, uh, things that just maybe have us stuck, bogged down, uh, swimming in uh, stress or anxiety, frustration. Um, we just want to hand that to you now. And so with a deep inhale, uh, we want to breathe in uh, your love, your grace, and your peace. And exhale an invitation to listen, to have the ears of our hearts, ears of our heart to be tuned into what you have for us as a community, certainly, and as individuals, uh, how you desire to speak to us, uh, to lead and guide our hearts, that we would be open to that now. And so this space is your space, is all space is your space. May we be here now, fully present to what you have for us. We bless you and thank you and pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, um, before uh, we sink into the reading, uh, I want to sit situate ourselves as we often do geographically first where we'll be in the story. Uh, so we're going to begin on the north, possibly northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. So if you have the Sea of Galilee, which is really more of a lake, um, we're going to be kind of in the uh, Capernaum, Chorazin, you're in that general area as best we understand the story we came from. Uh, we were up higher and then, but where we're going to be in uh, chapter 14, we're coming out of this Galilee region along the lake shore of that kind of north, northwest area. And the story is going to begin with Jesus saying, hey, to the disciples, get in the boat a fishing boat, and I'm going to send you to the other side. And we just read the other side. The other side is actually code word to moving from a very Jewish Galilee region where it's very Jewish. The other side would be, now I'm going to send you to the other side, so next one, into this area which is known as the Decapolis, which means the 10 cities, 10 Greek cities. So it is a non-Jewish region. So I need you to go across the lake. You're going to be in a non-Jewish region. Region. So that's when we read the other side. Often what it's referring to is you knew this area. Now you're going to go here, which would be not just a move because the lake isn't very big. It would be, imagine us going, I mean, 
it's far, far more of a distance. But if we were to cross the lake and all of a sudden we're in Wisconsin, we might go, ah, big deal. We went from Wolverine to cheese. Uh, not a big deal. But you go, actually, though, what they would understand as that is a whole other worldview. So to them, they'd say, oh, that's a great distance. It, even if geographically it's not a great distance, worldview-wise, it's a massive difference. You're in a whole new world. Uh, now these people wear cheese on their head and vote for the Packers. I'm not sure how to get my head around it. Well, for them, it's like we know this Jewish, very orthodox way of being. Now we're going to head to a pagan, Greco-Roman, worship Caesar kind of area. So that's kind of what's going on. And so they're moving uh, um, geographically in this area, heading onto the boat. So that sets up kind of where we're at on the map. Now we'll read the story, be able to take it all in, and then we'll come back as we often do and kind of talk through it um, and unpack it a bit. So Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33, it looks like this immediately. So they feeding uh, they just did a large feeding. Jesus just fed four or 5,000 men plus kids. It could be seven, 10,000 with women and children. But immediately after this, Jesus made the disciples, sounds odd, get into the boat, their fishing boat, and go on ahead of him to the other side. While he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Reasonable. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it is you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Now, to give you an idea of this scene, I want to kind of pick us up as best I can and bring us to Israel, bring us to the region, set us in the story as best we can. So first we're going to look at a model of the first century fishing boat. So a picture of a, uh, this is what they reconstructed. So BiblePlaces.com does a lot of great work. This is a reconstruction of a boat they found in 1986. So in 1986 they discovered a boat uh, on the sea of, or on the, on the beach near Magdala or what we know as Magdala, this area, they found a boat from the first century, from the time of Jesus that they've reconstructed. And I have pictures of that. It's just kind of the, the, the frame of it. But then they reconstructed what the boat would look like based on what they had found. And it looks something like this. So Jesus is taking these disciples, 12 of them, and having them get into a wooden uh, fishing boat, something like this. And then to give you an idea of the vast majority of the time, 
almost all of the time, what the Sea or Lake of Galilee looks like, this next picture, is typically like this. It's very calm. It's gorgeous. It sits low. There are mountains kind of around it and hill, foothills and mountains around it, and it sits low, and it's just tranquil. It is gorgeous. It's so beautiful, and it's often calm, most often calm, but... Then there are times which when we were there in May, a group of us, and we talked about some of these stories of storms and winds on the, on the sea, and we just experienced such calm. We were on the lake one day, and it was calm, and it was beautiful, and we were out on a boat, and we talked about the story, and there was a group of people that were like, I just can't picture it. I don't understand what it would look like for this water to get whipped up into a frenzy. But the reality is the wind often is coming from the west. And what happened is that night when we were there in May, that night the whole thing flipped and the wind came over from the east then and it came off the mountains and it hit the lake and did this. Uh, that's our hotel, by the way. There are some things floating that are not supposed to be floating. Uh, our whole patio, that patio area got trashed. The first floor, so we were staying on the fourth floor. So this is just looking down from the fourth floor, being wakened at three in the morning. By the sound of that, I was laying, uh, I was laying in bed and I heard rattling. And I could hear rattling, and I'm like, what is that sound? And I thought it was maybe the air conditioning. We, we had air conditioning, and I'm like, oh, the air conditioning is going goofy. And it was rattling, and I'm like, what is that? But I was laying by the window, and I put my hand on the window, and it was doing, and I'm like, oh, that's, that's the window. So I got up, and I walked out into our balcony, and that was the scene. And if I look down, and I'm like, what's happening right now? And I'm like, what is going on? And, you know, blurry-eyed, three in the morning. But then I'm looking and I'm thinking, what? And I'm looking out at the sea and I'm just seeing the water. It feels like someone is taking it and throwing it at our hotel. Um, and it's just thrashing the hotel. And that whole bottom, the fir first floor is where we uh, eat uh, breakfast and dinner, uh, at least when we were staying there. And we are in Tiberias, so we are on the west side of the lake uh, in a city called Tiberias, and the whole front floor where we ate then was completely destroyed. So that next morning, they, we had to get on a bus and go somewhere else for breakfast because it was trashed. And you go, oh, that's what happens when things flip like that, and it moves. Now, little fishing, wooden fishing boat, 
out on, out on the waters when the wind and the waves uh, pick up and go do that. Uh, yikes, right? Like, oh, well, that seems like it's something. But here's the thing. While I was watching in an awe and kind of like what's happening, what I did not feel is afraid. I was on the fourth floor, and there was something about just going, look at what's happening, but knowing like I'm up here, like it's big, but it's not that big. And so there was just something up for whatever reason, it just registered with me. I'm up here. Holy cow, this is crazy. It's wrecking things, but I'm okay. Wow, this is something to where I'm taking video and pictures uh, as are some of our other people. The next morning, most of us in our trip got together and did you see, did you see, I took this video and I took this and comparing and you're like, but we're on the fourth floor. So we were above the storm, which gave us a very different perspective. So what I want to do is um, I, I want us to kind of set ourselves in that to understand that the, the disciples, the students of Jesus are out on a boat and all, if you're, if you're on a boat and that's what you're seeing, that's what you're feeling is the wind and the waves like that, what kind of experience that would be. And so I, I just want to uh, have us read together uh, our friend, a scholar, New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright, uh, Tom Wright, writes about this to kind of frame the situation and give us hopefully a bit of bigger picture. And I want to just have a sink into it and allow us to move to a place where we can have some contemplation and just kind of reflection on, on this story. And maybe it'll take us in a number of different ways and we'll see where we'll go with that. I want to create that space. Uh, but Tom Wright says this, before we think about how the story works for us as individuals, Let's think of it first as a picture of our world. We are like the disciples in the boat. They had seen so much of Jesus' power. They had heard his teaching and prayed his prayer. That's the Lord's Prayer, right? They came out of where they learned the Lord's Prayer, as we often call it. Uh, but now they were stuck. Professional fishermen, a number of them, they were struggling with the oars, unable to make headway against the wind. We too in our world have discovered so much, yet are still without power to do many of the things that really matter. We have invented wonderful machines for making war, but nobody has yet found one that will make peace. We can put a man on the moon, but we can't put food into hungry stomachs. We can listen to the songs the whales sing on the ocean floor, but we can't hear the crying of human souls in the next street. And there, shimmering on the water, is a strange figure walking toward us. Much of our world knows at least a little bit about Jesus, but he seems a ghostly image, a mirage or fantasy, unrelated to us and our problems. Some find him frightening. Others wish he'd go away and leave us alone. Even those who believe in him, as the disciples already did, don't know what to expect from him. But he seems to be doing the impossible, and sometimes people get the idea it would be good to copy him, if only we could. Some people set off with the aim of doing just that, to bring his love and power, his peace and hope to the needy world. But then they let their eyes drop for a moment to the waves. 
That's what it often feels like when you try to bring God's love and healing power into the wild night of the world. That's when we need to hear once more Jesus' words, a combination as so often of rebuke and encouragement. Is that really how much faith you have? Why all this doubt? The moment when we are most strongly tempted to give up is probably the moment when help is, if only we knew it, just a step away. So within this story, I studied the text, I actually wrote a message, and then I let it sit as I hopefully have time typically do to just let it sit for a week. And I just let it sit, the message. And I went about my kind of experience of life. And then there is a pang within me that kind of provides commentary, this, this voice, this pang, this rattling within me about what I'm hearing and seeing and going through life. And then the text, the scriptures, spirit hopefully is swirling. And it seemed this past week to be a bit extra aggressive, maybe, or persistent, I would say is the word. So this past Monday, I took the message I had written and I took it and I dropped it in a digital file. Maybe for another day, maybe for another time. Because I felt um, pressed to zoom out and read more of the surrounding context that we have been in, the movement of Jesus, and maybe listen to the larger story that is taking place. So we're not going to just Im like immerse ourselves in all of the fine details the way we could, the way I love to. We're not going to go into a, a, a minutia of Hebrew and Greek, just one little bit, but not going to sink into that. Instead, I, I'm hoping we can zoom out and see a larger perspective uh, this morning. So I want us to back up, and I wanted to first look at the story that happened before this one. Jesus fed thousands of people with very little. And in studying that story a few weeks ago, we learned how the story seems to be referencing another story of how the divine provided for the Hebrew people thousands of years before as they traveled the Judean wilderness, the desert, and known as the Great Rescue or the Exodus. And that story had all these touch points to it. It was about incredible provision and in how God has been faithful providing for the Hebrew people throughout their history. And then you have the story of this walking on water piece. And then this story is followed by Jesus having a conversation with the religious elite about the rituals and traditions that they hold to and are pressing Jesus on. And that he says, these practices, these disciplines, this tradition, they're not for just going through they're not to get God on our side. They're not just jumping through hoops. The reason we do this is a practicing a transformed heart, is participating in these things that help transform our heart. And he kind of has this push and pull, and it very gets tense with the religious elite because they say, we just need to do this. And Jesus says, why are you doing it? There needs to be a deeper, wider, 
more meaningful purpose than just tradi tradition, just ritual. Please, there's more. It's, it's about living a dynamic life rather than practicing a robotic ritual so as to uphold a static religion. We're not doing that, Jesus essentially says in my language. Then that story takes us into the faith of what Matthew calls a Canaanite woman, which is a rather extreme example of an outsider, someone outside to the normal. Followed quickly by Jesus providing food for several thousands more people with a small amount of bread again. And that story seems to be hinting at how the divine provides for and invites the least likely people. The enemy, if you will, enemy. And he says, I want you to come and walk in the kingdom of heaven. I want you who have been pushed out, left out, shoved out, not allowed to participate. He is reaching out to them in this story, in that story. For Jesus' students... This is a massive shift in perspective. When we studied then how Jesus took his students to the pagan, religiously dicey region known as Caesarea Philippi, and our friend Marlene back here taught that teaching, she walked through that story, and Marlene so wonderfully invited us to zoom out and catch the jarring paradigm shift that is revealed within the story was such a paradigm shift for them, and it should be, could be for us. But all of these stories, including this one about walking on the water, sandwiched in the middle, has Jesus putting his students in a boat, in this one, and then he ascends a mountain to pray. So then we catch it, Jesus up on a mountain to pray, to commune with God, his Father, to commune, while they're in a boat bobbing in chaotic waters, and where he would be, many understand likely Mount Arbel, where you're up high, you see the whole Galilee region, he can look down on the lake, he's having this time of prayer, and he has a perspective of looking down and seeing them bobbing on the water. They're in utter panic, and Jesus is up in prayer. For the disciples, it could feel like Jesus abandons them in a storm. Like he led them into pandemonium at Caesarea Philippi, pressing them against the gates of hell. Like he placed them among two separate, very hungry kind of mobs of people while only holding a couple loaves of Wonder Bread. And then we have the story we looked at last week, the transfiguration, as it's often called, where it seems like three disciples are given the most spectacular experience, replete with glowing clouds, clothes, and people, where they heard the voice of the divine speak about who Jesus is with a summons to listen to him. And today's story of wind and waves and walking on water, these are all different angles and perspectives, circumstances, and experiences where people are invited to see more. See the more, the bigger picture. 
In, in the midst of all of these experiences and circumstances, there is a declaration of the one who is with the people. Always, whatever the circumstance, whatever the experience, there is this declaration of I am the one who is with you. They are never alone in their wrestling with the tension and massive invitation to the more of life. In this story, it reads like this, verses 25 to 27. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But what happens? But Jesus, what? This word, when it gets written, immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Now here's the thing, that it is I in the English, it's just one of those ways in which you get a little mad. The, the English is like, well, grammatically, it doesn't make sense. In the Greek original language which it's written, it didn't grammatically make sense, so they alter it in our, in our translation so it makes sense. So they say, it is I, but the actual Greek is Ego, I, me. Go ahead and say, ego, I, me. And it means, I am. So what you actually read does is he says, take courage. I am that I am that I am. That's how it would read in the Greek. And you go, well, that doesn't make sense. And you go, it does to them. To the students of the scriptures who would understand this is a reference to the I am that met Moses at the burning bush and Moses said, who are you? And he said, in the the response, the whatever hearing was, I am that I am that I am. I am what I will be that you will get it. So the response here isn't small, just like, hey, it's me. It's I, I am the I am. Where then you have, what's the reaction? Whoa. Whoa. This has just gotten much bigger. The I am is the point. The same I am throughout the Hebrew scriptures. That's what we need to see and hear here. Otherwise we might feel like God abandons us in storms, leaving us to stare into the face of hell or just trying to make sense of ancient stories of floating, glowing Jesus who hovers outside of our very real anxiety-soaked lives. The divine leaves the solitude of prayer on the mountaintop to descend into the chaos. Why? He descends into the storms of our lives to announce I am is with you. You are not alone. I am with you. But if we're honest, it can certainly feel like God abandons us in the midst of a storm, correct? Maybe someone here has felt like that. This feels overwhelming and I feel alone. I feel not seen. Because that's from very understandably, the storm's perspective or the storm perspective. I'm in it, I look around and I see massive waves and I'm in this wooden boat. And the only thing I can think of is, oh my goodness, dear Lord, or maybe you have other language you use. Um, But if we zoom out, can I offer you a practice this morning? 
that sometimes we're in the midst of a storm and we're like, this is heavy, this is a lot, I can't see beyond the waves. Maybe we need to practice going higher. Maybe sometimes this physically is about a practice we could do internally. Maybe this is like, you know what? When I'm just in this and this is all I can see, maybe I just need to do something physically to try and pull myself out of the anxiety of being only seeing waves and only seeing chaos and feeling alone. And so um, maybe... Maybe like Jesus used the context around him all the time of saying, uh, fish, uh, bread, uh, you saw the flowers in the field. He looks around and he says, all of this is an opportunity to teach. And so maybe when we're gathered and we go, there's a scissor lift. Maybe what we do is hop in that and just go up a little bit higher and go, what would happen is if we go, oh, there's not just wind and waves. There's not just a couple rows. There's way more. I can see far more than just when I'm on the ground floor. Are you with me? All right, let's try this. There's beeping. Gillette, you know I'm coming down. Okay. So that gives us a little bit of a picture. I thought that was a practice. So I'm sitting at home writing the message and I'm like, they have a scissor lift at the Three Mile Project. I need a different perspective in this. And I thought, oh, we all do. So let's take a ride. And, and maybe that's just something that we can do even in our heart, like, oh, I need a different perspective. So maybe it's grabbing a friend and saying, can you help me see this circumstance, this situation from a different perspective? Hey, when I talk with you, you always have fascinating perspectives of things that don't usually look like mine. And instead of me going, I don't get that, it never lines up, I, you know what, I'm stuck. I'm in a storm, so I actually want to tug on you and say, could you share, uh, I, I just want, let me give you this situation. Could you share what you're seeing, what you're hearing, what maybe you're experiencing? You can call it counseling, which we all need. Or you can call it conversation. You can call it community, certainly. But the whole point is that we would be drawn out of just staring into a storm because that's really easy for all of us to do. Because Jesus has a view from like a mountaintop and sees them and then comes towards them and, and says, let's have, like he's got the perspective of we're going to be okay and they, on the other hand, are lost. And, and what I want to do then is I want to highlight Peter's response though too because once again, it, it can be easy to pile on Peter. It, it happens all the time when you're reading the scriptures or if maybe you've been in church and you've heard people, oh, Peter's always sticking his foot in his mouth. Uh, I heard, I think this week, literally someone said, Peter opens his mouth long enough to change feet. Um, and I'm like, that's funny. And we love to pile on Peter for speaking too much or um, just, you know, always just like, oh, let's go. I'll think about it later, but let's start first. But here the thing is, I actually think there are a number of times, Peter's response is such a gift 
It's so beautiful. And here Peter's response, I think, is a gift. He says this in verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you out on the water. Would that be your response? If it's you, pick up the boat like Thor and toss us onto the land or something, right? Hey, if it's you, could you go ahead and turn on the motorboat of divinity? I, I'm not sure. And just get us out. Hey, if it's you, tell me. Tell me to come to you. Hey, Jesus, I want you to call me to walk to you. It's a very rabbi-student response because that's a rabbinic. There is a rabbi and there's a student. The student is called to follow the rabbi because the rabbi believes the student can be like the rabbi. And so the student is saying, I understand you think I can be like you, so call me to be like you. Call me to follow you. But what I love, what the gift is, he doesn't say, I'm just going to keep Jesus. You're my crutch. You just do everything and please... Instead, he's like, I want to be involved. I want to participate. I want to follow you. I don't get this right now, but you're doing it, so call me to you. Peter moves from do stuff for us to call me to participate with you. I would argue that it doesn't take long for people religious leaders certainly and others to demand that Jesus do miracles for them. We read that in the text. Hey, do some really cool stuff to prove, to prove you are who you say you are or who others are saying you are. Do some stuff. Multiply. Come on, do some things. Fix some things. Come on. Magic circus time, guy. Do some things. And what they're doing is even when there have been miracle after miracle, if you will, things happening that we go, wow, they miss the Messiah because they're focused on the miracle. They miss who he is because they're like, oh, that was neat. Could you do more? Hey, oh, that was neat. Do it again. Instead of, I think something way more is going on here. And he keeps on asking us to follow him. And then in John's gospel, John's writing, he actually has Jesus saying, hey, uh, you're all going to do more than I do. And we all go, huh? Jesus says, here's the thing. You all coming after me will do more than, than, than this. You will do more than this. The you there, by the way, is plural, really important. You all together can do more. It's quite something. What else do all of these stories reveal? Well, that it's not all up and to the right. We have in this story even, but in these stories, Jesus saying, great job, Pete. Good job. And then, hey, Pete, your attitude, your words, your thinking right now, I mean, real close together, great job. And hey, what you're saying now and what you're doing is actually in line with the Satan. So go ahead and get behind me, which is a rabbi saying, get back in line. You're not ahead of the teacher. You've gotten ahead of yourself. Your thinking has gone off course. Get behind me. Let's try this again. But there is this throughout. Come on, man. I need you to... Dial it in, think again, rethink, change your thinking, and there is great job. Well done, 
Man, you, that was way more than just your thinking. That's clearly you're listening to that which is deepest within, Pete. So in other words, it's a roller coaster of faith and doubt, faith and doubt, faith and doubt. And you don't ever have Jesus saying, doubt is terrible. He says, don't get lost in the doubt. But doubt, they, they, literally up on a mountaintop, when they've experienced everything, it says some worshipped him and some doubted. If you're trying to write a way to get people to follow Jesus, that is garbage propaganda. Don't put that in the story that they doubted, unless, of course, they did. And we all experience it. And it's a roller coaster. And it's fine to have questions and wondering and wrestling. Because Jesus says, well done, students. And then sometimes he says, keep going and keep growing up, would you? in this parental, beloved way. Keep going and keep growing. Salvation has been done for us without our approval or without our opinion. That has been done, but salvation is for us to accept, receive, and grow up into. And that invitation also includes participation in the ongoing rescue and restoration of all creation. Jesus has done it. It has been done for us, and then we're just constantly invited into it. Are you with me? He didn't say, well, I'll do this. What do you think? Hey, let me get your feedback before this happens. Instead, I'm doing this for all and then I invite you to walk into it and grow up into it. Sometimes what is, what is missing is the freedom found in participating in the kingdom of heaven now. Because uh, many people have long been waiting for or working for entrance into salvation. We're just waiting, we're just waiting, and in the meantime they're missing out and participating in heaven now. That is the kingdom of heaven that Jesus keeps saying it's among you, it's within you. It's all around you, and I invite you to step into it now. Of course, it'll be finished, completed later, but I'm inviting you into it now. Don't miss that. And too many are sitting and going, apparently the only way to the eternal is the end. And Jesus says, now. Are you with me? Sometimes what is needed is a fresh perspective. For me, a metaphor helps the way my mind works. So let me give you a metaphor to hopefully pull open. This is one that just kind of, uh, we think through, write it out and go, oh, that helps pull the shades of my heart open a little bit so I can see here a bit more. In the womb, a baby is so enveloped and surrounded by the mother that paradoxically, it cannot see the mother and cannot have any concept of the mother. Its inability to see or picture its mother is caused by the mother's all-enveloping presence, not by her absence. The mother is so present she cannot be seen or conceptualized. To see its mother, the baby has to experience birth, which is an event, a deep, all-encompassing experience, physical, emotional, spiritual rather than an intellectual idea you agree with. Anyone who's given birth said, please don't throw that on me. 
Yeah. Put another way, the birth experience is a rather dramatic shift in perspective. The infant is now experiencing life from the outside, which is learning a whole new world and a whole new way of being in this new world. Are you with me? Jesus went from on a mountaintop in this story wherein he's communing with his father. He could see the disciples in the boat on the wild waters, which means he could see more. He had a fresh perspective. He leaves the mountain, enters into the chaos to be with his students. His presence and his call for calm over the chaos initiates rescue. Peter sees this and asks to participate in the calm over the chaos. That's amazing. Oh, I'd like to be with you. Once again, it's a picture of baptism, as we've talked about, which is an external expression of an internal transformation that has been taking place. So we want to publicly announce that. An acknowledgement of rescue by way of action. It's a commitment to participation. It's a symbol, it's a practice, it's a ritual we do to say, this is how I want to live my life. Community, I want to, I want to celebrate this with you, and I want to join you in this, and I want you to join me in this work. Are you with me? So my question then, for us to be thinking about, can you locate yourself in this story a bit? this wild story. Maybe for you, a storm has overwhelmed you. You're just stuck. And maybe you're huddled in the bow of the boat, tucked in the fetal position, going, the waves, the waves, the waves, and that's all you can say is the waves, the waves, the waves. Maybe you're swimming in a sea of questions on whether or not the divine sees you hears your cries, or cares about you in the midst of the storm, you find yourself going, God, do you even see me? Can you hear me? Or do you find yourself always in waiting mode, thinking the end is the only way to the eternal? Maybe you find yourself relating to the complexity of Peter, one day you are hopping out of the boat to walk with Jesus on top of the chaos. Yet the next day, the presence of the wind holds your heart and mind captive, and the best you can do is yell for help. The beauty is that the divine meets each one of us and all of us right where we are, just as we are. Whatever you find yourself in, wherever you find yourself, the divine says, I am with you. The I am is with you. Our desire as a community is to walk with you wherever you're at and to walk with you as you take that next right step, whatever that may be, that you go, I just, I need to take that next step. Can you help me discern what that would be? Can you walk with me so I don't go it alone? That is the desire and hope. That's why church community to be with one another in the midst of whatever it is you are in and that we can link and just whisper shout yell if you need it 
Ah, the I am is with us. The I am is with you. Maybe it's just, hey, you know what? Maybe for you to experience that, I won't say a word, and you literally just need my arm around you so you feel presence. And I trust that is the body of Christ hugging. I just want to just take some space for us to reflect, situate our heart, and then we'll uh, momentarily sing, allow music to just kind of flutter. Uh, we can sing along, but just kind of place yourself. Where are we? What do we need? What does that look like for you? Um, so we can determine what is that for us as a community. Gracious God, we bless you for meeting us right where we are, just as we are in the midst Oh, if we're standing on a mountaintop and things are just stunning and beautiful and things are humming along and we are celebrating that we have a big picture and it just feels good. Or maybe, maybe what we see around us is, is waves. The wind is howling. I can't hear anything. I only see water thrashing. Are you there? Are you there? Are you there? Are you here? Are you here with me? Are you here with us? Gracious one, we just want to create space for you to continue speaking and continue to draw us toward you. May we hear your voice calling us toward you all the more as you are with us always.